Jacob's last journey. At Beersheba, which is up at the southernmost tip of the land of Palestine or Israel, God spoke to him again, assuring him that it was right to go into Egypt, that it was correct, it was good for him to proceed. You may be standing at the threshold of something today in your life, wondering about the path ahead. How reassuring to know that God can speak to us today in Sacramento. It's no different than Beersheba. It doesn't matter the name of the town or the title of the place. God can speak to us saying, it's all right, move ahead. Not that he will say that all the time. He may say, just hold steady. He may say, wait. Or he may say, no. But be assured that God will say something. God will do something. God will give you his divine impressions, just as he did to the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He said no to Paul about Troas, and he said no to Paul about Bithynia, but he said yes to Paul about Macedonia. And the gospel opened up to the Macedonians, and a church in Philippi was established in the 16th chapter of Acts. My point is this, it is reassuring, and I give you that reassurance today on the authority of this book, that God will speak, that you can know the direction to go when you stand at the border and wonder what to do. There was a football player at Northwestern University one time by the name of Justin Dart. Justin Dart became the chairman of the board of Rexall. And who of us has not taken advantage of the two-for-one sales at Rexall? Well, Justin Dart was the chairman of the board of Rexall. In college, he played guard on the football team. Apparently, one day, he was not exerting himself to the full. For the coach came to him and said to him, Justin, you have it in you to be the greatest guard Northwestern has ever had. But you've got to think bigger than you are thinking. You've got to believe bigger than you're believing. Then the coach said something that Justin never forgot. He said, okay, boy, go out there on the field running tall. Justin Dart, who became very successful in life, said, I never forgot that statement. I went out on the field running tall, and I have been running tall ever since. Do you know what psychologists and psychiatrists are now saying? I did not really know I was so smart because I have known this for a long, long time. 
They are now telling us that no one can sense the feeling of forgiveness until they believe in themselves. They are saying that you cannot experience healing in your emotions until you believe you deserve the healing of your emotions. Now, I want that to settle in on you today because the enemy of your life makes sure that you walk into church down on yourself many times. You are so low you can't even reach up to touch bottom. You're below the bottom of the pit. Down on life, down on yourself, down on your opportunities, down on the prospects for the future. I have good news for you today from Genesis 47. You have come to Beersheba today. You have come to build an altar under the Lord today, and I want to tell you what the Lord is going to say to you at Beersheba, at the altar of the Lord. He is going to say to you, get up and go out running tall. You have a future. You have forgiveness. You have healing. You have my presence, and where my presence is, there is anything you have need of in this life and in the life which is to come. Get up running tall. That's what I want to see in the lives of all of our church family. I look into your faces as I come out here week after week. Some I have known for a long time. Others I'm just getting acquainted with. But for each, as I come here, I have a feeling of love. I have a strong desire toward you to succeed in this thing called life, to recognize that over all of your years is the unseen hand of God that I sense on my life year by year and day by day, and which Jacob experienced as he came to the altar of God at Beersheba. I have a desire that you go through life running tall, hoping, growing, succeeding, developing your faith as you walk with God. The name David Livingstone is a familiar name to us who have studied church history. He was the great Scottish missionary who went to Africa and blazed a trail of evangelism. David Livingstone was who he was because of what I am preaching to you today here at Capital Christian Center. He believed what I am saying to you and what Jacob discovered at Beersheba. For in his devotional book, he wrote these words back in 1866. He said, I quote, We are now finishing 1866. I will try to do better in 1867. I will be better, more humble, more loving, and I will give more. Then he said in his book, May God, which I daily give myself to, 
Help me in this. Let all my faults in 1866 be erased for Jesus' sake. Amen. End of quote. Now, friends, if you forget everything else I say to you this morning, and I realize that that's entirely possible, do not forget what David Livingstone said in his devotional book. In summary, this was his discovery. I am now discovering anew that every fault in the past is under the blood of Jesus Christ, and I can do nothing about it, nor would I want to do anything about it. It is buried, it is covered, it is gone, never to be remembered again because the blood of Jesus is over it all. Now, I move into a new era of my life with the awareness that he is with me. He is my God. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never let me down. He will always be there for he is my God. And in him I put my trust. That's good news. And it works if you practice it on a day-by-day -day basis. That is why Jacob stopped at Beersheba. He did not want to make another mistake. He had made enough in the past. Some of you have come to church today recognizing the mistakes of this past week, the failures. You're discouraged with yourself. But listen, you don't have to bear that burden beyond this moment. Stop with me at Beersheba. You don't have to make another mistake if you don't want to make another mistake. Jacob would only go into Egypt if God himself would bid him go. Over all my years, the unseen hand. Now, as far as outline is concerned, there are just two points to the truth of Genesis 47. The first is life a pilgrimage. Life slash a pilgrimage. Notice what he said in verse 9. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you ought to underline it. Verse 9, chapter 47. Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my what? Pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years. Few have they been. Now, isn't that interesting? How many here are approaching one hundred and thirty years of age? Let me see your hand. No hand. I'm not surprised. At 130, and he lived to be 147, he said, Few have been the days of my pilgrimage. Looking back through the telescope of memory, our days are crowded together, aren't they? Looking forward, it seems that things will never come if you're planning to be married. seems like the day will never get there. Or you have some exciting development out there. Boy, time seems to drag. 
But when you look back, no such case. You look back as Jacob did, and my goodness, it seems just like yesterday when you were waiting seven years for Rachel or Bridget or whoever. It happened to be Rachel in Jacob's case. Few have been my days. Jacob, what are you talking about? It's been scores and scores of years. But he still said it. Few have been my days. Then he had to wait another seven years in order to fulfill his obligations to Laban before getting Rachel as his own. But he still said, few have been my years. He had very, a very happy, wedded life. But as he looked back, how short it seemed to him. I think as he was making his way to Egypt to see his long-lost son, Joseph, that he must have thought back to those early years when Joseph was toddling around the home. I've had real occasion to think about those years of late. As my sons have moved into new phases of their lives and now have sons of their own, it only seems like yesterday when I was bouncing them on my knees and watching them bust their bones on furniture and in football games and all kinds of things that boys do. Just seems like yesterday. Then he says that his days were not only few, but they were evil. Oh, now your ears are perking up. That's me. As I look back, how evil I have been. Slowly, however, Jacob had his sins purged out of him. God's heavenly wrestler saw to that when he wrestled with him till the breaking of the day. But I do want you to see something in this one verse and in this little statement he makes about the evil of his days. Notice the old wrongdoing, even when forgiven, leaves regretful memories throughout life. And here's where some of us struggle. We say, I know the pastor told me that my sins are forgiven, but I still remember them. I never told you you would not forget them. I told you God would forget them. That's what's important. You have memory, and God has not given you the power to blot that out. Maybe someday, but not now. We all have memory, but memory can serve us. It can assist us so that we won't make the same dumb mistakes again, right? So that we don't go back into the same folly of yesterday. So little by little, Jacob had his sins purged from his life until God could speak to him as Israel. Deliverer, as a prince, you have prevailed with God. Who, Jacob? Why, he lied, he stole, he connived. Jacob, Israel, that is the way God saw him. And listen to me, my dear brother, sister, that is the way God sees you. The memory may be filled with bitterness, 
Sin has power to sting. But in God's eyes, oh, hallelujah, in God's eyes we are justified, just as if we had never sinned. Over all our years, the unseen hand, forgiven, justified, made righteous in the eyes of God Almighty. But if you don't deal with that sin, it will raise its ugly head to destroy you. So that's why we come to church. I read a most incredible story about a man who was killed by a rattlesnake's poison fangs. You say, well, what's so unusual about that? I haven't finished the story. The rattlesnake's poison fangs were embedded in a boot which had lain forgotten for years. And when he put that boot on, the poison was still in the boot. I've never heard of anything like that before. But you know, it's possible. I thought, oh my God, how much like sin in us unattended, forgotten sin. It will murder us. It will release its venom in us if we don't deal with that sin, if we don't get rid of the boot. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why Pastor Cole is so firm on your faithfulness to the house of God, because running busily through this world you cannot hear as you should the voice of God, the voice of conscience, the voice of right versus the voice of wrong. But coming into this atmosphere, sitting down quietly, wanting God to speak to you, he will make known to you those poison areas that will destroy you if you do not deal with them through the blood of the everlasting covenant, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that why you've come today? That's why I'm here. I need an encounter with divinity today. I need to feel again over all my years the unseen hand. His last thought as he lay his trembling hands on the heads of Joseph's sons in chapter 48 was of the God which fed me all my life long and the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Look at it in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 48. Right in the middle of the chapter, the God which fed me all my life long and the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Glory to God. Oh, get a hold of it, my friend. Get a hold of it today. Get a hold of it this morning. Over all your years, the unseen hand. Take hold of it today. Don't fight it today. Don't run from God today. Take hold of God today. Go to Beersheba. And there have a visitation from the Almighty. 
The days may have been few and evil, but grateful faith is seen as he comes to his last years. A clear vision of the goodness of God, of his miracle-loving care, and that all the evil had been transplanted into good. He was on his way to see Joseph. How could he be sad? Even though there had been some things he had not been pleased with in his life, he was not sad because he was on his way to see Joseph and to be fed by the bounty of Egypt. Oh, my, when I preach, I get so many thoughts, and I say, Cole, stick to the script, or you're going to run out of time. But you inspire me, and I get all carried away. And I just stood here thinking how maybe some of you senior citizens look back over the past and the mistakes you've made, and you know that the years are not all that many. But listen to me. Hear me this morning. Are you hearing me right now? There is a heavenly Joseph out there waiting for you with bread and fruit and all kinds of glory and all kinds of blessing. Don't you dare look back today with regret and remorse and feel pressed down in that seat where you are. We are marching to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Joseph is waiting. He's sitting on a throne with all power and he's ready to receive us with open arms. Hallelujah. Life is a pilgrimage. Few and evil, maybe, but all of it winds up for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. No wonder Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. You know that you can put on a wall two colors of paper, black and gold. You can work your eyes so that you can see either a black background or a gold one. Have you ever tried that with colors? It's actually true. You can work your eye until you only see one color. Now, that's what I'm saying to you today. That's what Jacob saw at Beersheba when God met him there. His tendency was to look at the one color, the sordid, the black, the evil of his days, the brevity of his days. It was like a shadow that passed away. But God wanted him to focus on the gold, the good. Jacob, go ahead. Go into Egypt. Go throw your arms around Joseph. Go and enjoy the last 17 years of your life in the safety of Joseph and in the company of your people in Egypt. I will make of you a great nation, Jacob, Israel. What I'm saying to you this morning is focus on the gold, not on the black. Glory to God. This past week, my wife and I flew up to Oregon to preach at a conference for the Oregon churches. And as we were flying over the mountains in the Northwest, I was aware again of how barren and rough and stony and steep those mountains look when you get up close. But when you travel away from them and look across the plain, 
to those mountains. Do you know what they look like? A thing of absolute beauty and majesty and glory. So it is in our struggles in this pilgrimage of life, in the midst of them, we're often tempted to think that things are hard, things are stony, and things are rough, and will I ever make it to the summit? But if we keep near the Lord, if we stop often enough at Beersheba and build the altar unto God, God will help us look across the plain and see them as something beautiful and majestic and glorious. But we have to help him, or have him help us look through the right kind of eyes over all of our years, the unseen hand. Jacob is able to leave this world saying, I am satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord. I'm just absolutely overcome by my subject this morning. He left this world saying, I am full of the blessing and favor of the Lord. And I want you to know every last one of you in this room, everyone watching me by television and listening to me by tape can say the same exact thing. I'm going to leave here full of the blessing and favor of God. It's not because of you. It's not whether you have been good or whether you have been bad, but whether or not you have received the grace and mercy of a living God. That's what makes the difference. That's the bottom line. And I challenge you today to receive all he has for you and I don't care what age you are, you can say the same thing Jacob said. I am satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord. Don't you dare say, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. Don't you dare say that. I don't need to know. I don't care to know. And you need to put it behind you. Has Jacob put his past behind him and go to Beersheba and build that altar and say to the glory of God, I'm going to leave here whenever that day comes, full of favor and full of the blessing of the Lord. Glory to his name. If you've lived your whole life a sinner and you receive Christ today and die tonight, it would be true. It would be true. That's the miracle of the gospel of good news. Now, secondly, and only two points, aren't you glad? A life pilgrimage and life slash a challenge. A challenge. In Proverbs 3, verse 6, the preacher said, In all thy ways acknowledge him, speaking of God, and he shall direct thy paths. Do you see, as Jacob did, over all your years, the unseen hand? The second part of this story in Genesis 47 deals with worry. It deals with care. What are you worried about? Could you tell me right now what they were worrying about on this date a hundred years ago? Anybody here tell me that? You want to know? Probably inflation. Probably war and rumors of war. Probably recession. 
Will anybody know in 2081 what we're worrying about today? What difference does it make? I would ask, would they even care in 2081 what we were worrying about today? They are apt to say, didn't they have it made back there in 1981? <laughs> huh? Isn't that apt to be what they say? God has talked to me about some of you who are carrying these big problems on your shoulders. I mean, you talk about warriors. You even do it when you're asleep. You fret and toss and pull the covers off every night, worrying even when you're supposed to be resting. A young lady in the Olympia congregation entered the quiz program of our movement for the last seven years. She has memorized book after book in the Bible for the quiz competition. And at St. Louis, Missouri, she was the top scorer and their team won the national championship. She had committed to memory every word, every period, every comma, every semicolon of the book of Matthew. They didn't even need to ask the questions to her. The quiz master would start, what is, and her buzzer would ring. She had to finish the question and give the answer, and she did it just like that. She was asked to quote the Sermon on the Mount in the church on a Sunday night by memory. She's 19 years of age. There was a lady in that service who was totally overcome by worry and by care and by the problems of this life. And Carrie began to quote from the Sermon on the Mount, don't be anxious for anything. Here it was coming from a 19-year-old girl, but literally from the heart of God. Don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will put on. Does not the Lord care for the sparrow that falls to the ground and the lily that spins in the field? They toil not, but you go on worrying and worrying. And Jesus said, don't even think about it, for I will care for you. That woman told my wife and I, as I sat there listening to the words of Jesus, there came into my soul a healing, a victory, a deliverance from my worry. And I have not worried since. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. But, Pastor, I've got to decide about my business. I've got to decide about a car. I've got to decide about my home, whether I should sell or whether I should stay. I've got to decide about this new offer. God cares. God knows what's best. Come to Beersheba today. Build an altar at Beersheba today. Don't even think of moving another step until you come to Beersheba and say, God, should I go into Egypt or not? 
Should I go to Joseph or not? In the natural, you would say, well, what other answer would God give? Joseph was there. His next to the youngest son was there. He should go to him, but you never take anything for granted. You acknowledge the Lord, and then he directs your paths. And Jacob built the altar and said, God, what is your mind? What is your will? I've blown it enough in the past. I've made enough mistakes in the past. Now I want your direction. I am challenged, God, to never make another mistake, never to do another thing outside of your will. God, I build this altar. I make this sacrifice. You show me. You tell me what to do. And God revealed himself to him and said, Israel, go ahead and go. It's all right. Hallelujah. You don't need to worry. Why do we worry? Because we take everything ourselves. We carry the weight ourselves. Norman Vincent Peale has a calendar It was given to him by a friend, and it has four lines on it. It goes like this. Let nothing disturb thee. Let nothing dismay thee. All things pass. God never changes. Oof, that's good. Some of you are new here, so I can tell some of my old stories once in a while. And one I like is the old brother who didn't have any education, but he loved God. And in a testimony meeting in his church, he stood where they were giving their favorite scriptures. And he said, my favorite scripture is, and it came to pass. He said, I haven't read in the blessed book very long until I come across those words, and it came to pass. And I say, hallelujah, it ain't come to stay, it come to pass. That's good gospel. I am here to say to you today on the authority of Genesis 47 that whatever you're facing, whatever heavy load you're feeling, it ain't come to stay, it come to pass. Glory to God. That's good enough to take another offering for. (laughs) Jacob lived to be 147, and he had to live it one day at a time. Twelve months at a crack. You ever noticed by the calendar that you can't get into October until you get all the way through September? So why in the world are you worrying about October already? You can't do one thing about it till you get through September. Hallelujah for that news. Jacob's hoary head now comes into Egypt. We've got to finish this thing. Oh, my, do we ever. They've got the light on the clock today. He comes into Egypt. Oh, I get excited when I read that story, and Joseph sees them coming. It has been over 20 years. And Jacob and Joseph meet. And they fall on each other's neck, and it says Joseph wept for a long time. I can just imagine. I feel like crying just standing here thinking about it. He'd been in prison. He'd been in the pit. He had been ridiculed and criticized and wrongly used. But he had risen to the top. He was running tall, no matter where he was. And he now comes to his old dad, 130 years old. Joseph is somewhere around 
37. And he falls on his neck and he weeps for a long time. And then Joseph very proudly, oh, I can just see it, he just wraps his arms around that old dad of his. And he says, come with me, Pop. I want you to meet somebody. And he marches him in right in front of old Pharaoh, the biggest bird in the world. I mean, he was the biggest, the most powerful. And here's little old Jacob. He's been wrestling with angels, and he's been lying and conniving and running from God. But now he's built an altar, and he's dealt with it, and all his days were few and evil, but he stands now anointed of God at 130 years of age before the mightiest monarch in the universe, not in the universe, in the world. His hoary head, which is now gray, stands there in humility. His pilgrimage brief. And Pharaoh says to him, you can have all of Goshen the rest of your days. Jacob, you don't have to worry about another thing as long as you live. You're going to be taken care of. Now, let me paint the picture I want to leave with you. Jesus is Joseph, all right? Pharaoh is God. We will use the types here now. Maybe you've been running and you've been away from Jacob for a long time. And here's Jesus. And he meets you, and he sheds tears on you, and you on him, and you get together. Isn't that a marvelous moment? And Jesus throws his arms around you, and he marches you in before the throne. And he says, Father, Pharaoh, <laughs> here's one of ours. Oh! And down inside, Jacob is saying, I've been evil. I have been a conniver. Oh, I've done wrong, but it doesn't matter now because Pharaoh says, it's all yours. Enter thou in. That, my friends, is the story of the gospel from out of the Old Testament and how powerful and how marvelous and how glorious it is. And then, as the chapters end in Genesis, old Jacob pulls his feet up into bed he pulls the covers over himself and he slips on in to the other world. And all of us are heading that way. Whether we be teenagers or senior citizens or in the middle years, we're all headed that way. And I have come to this pulpit today to say to you, over all our years, the unseen hand. It's always there. And as we come to our Beersheba today, we're going to experience it again in power, in healing, forgiveness, strength, direction, release. Are you ready? Are you ready?
Let us stand together all over the sanctuary, please. The closing moments of a service are the most important, probably, of all. For it is then that we, as an individual, deal with what God has been saying to us since this service began with the great choir anthem that we enjoyed so much. What is God saying to you about this truth? What part of your life needs to be shored up? That's what we do in these last few moments of this time of fellowship today. Have you come to church without a personal relationship with the Lord? Then undoubtedly the Holy Spirit is saying to you, come to this altar and give your life to Christ. This is the day to do it. If you have been a worry wart and you have been trying to pile up October and November and December on top of September, then you need the healing of Jesus Christ. Because over all your years is the unseen hand of a loving God who's not going to let anything come on you that you cannot bear. That's his promise. You need to come and stand here and say, I'm going to give it to him. Or have you come down to this altar before and you have said, Jesus, take away my sin, but the devil keeps bringing it up. You feel the pain of it. You feel the agony of it. The guilt is still there. Then I want you to come too because that can be gone.